Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The New Story, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Because uh, we're talking today about living a new story. Um, no matter your starting point today, you can live a new story with God's community in this new church. This is a series about the new church. And I, I know Jim wouldn't mind me telling you that his, and, and I wish we had time for him to hear his whole story when uh, Jim uh, came here, he was still struggling with many things, in, including alcohol. Um, w- one night, he he was calling me from a bar, and he was very drunk, and uh, I, I, you know, I kept encouraging him to move on, and he finally did. He calls me and says, I can't find my keys, and uh, but he didn't know where he was. So I got in my car, and I don't know how I drove to the right place. But I drove to Providence Road, and there he was sitting behind the car. And the police were there, but they, the police couldn't arrest him because he wasn't driving. <laughs> so uh, that was a low point. And, but Jim was always humble, and there was no question. See, it's not about where you are. It's the direction you're going that matters. And even back then, Jim, I knew that you wanted to put Christ at the center of your life. I knew that you wanted, that's what you wanted. And every time those incidents would happen, you would humble yourself. And you were never proud, and you were never arrogant, and you never pushed us away, and you never let your pride keep you from coming back. It was just a really marvelous stories. So um, uh, God blessed you with a, a beautiful wife and a beautiful home and a, a beautiful business. Jim has his own business now. And uh, I remember when he, he was a long ways from having his own business, believe me. So we're proud of you, Jim. We're proud of, I'm proud of all the people who've worked with him because he, he, he got it. Uh, now, now this, before I get into the new story, I just want a little, little bit, moment of review. Uh, this is a series about the book of Acts. And what we're calling it, we're calling it the new church because there was a church in the Old Testament in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the church. But what happened in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 is a new church emerged. And last time we met and we talked about it, we talked about this new church had new leadership. And Jesus became the new King David. Jesus became the new lawgiver. He took the place of Moses. Jesus became the new high priest. And that was, of course, that really messed with the minds of many of the Jewish people. But it also brought joy to many of them. Uh, this book of Acts was written by uh, a, a doctor, a medical doctor named Luke. Uh, Luke had, w- w- did not walk with Jesus. He, as far as we know, he never met Jesus. And uh, Luke was like an investigative reporter. He was a very brilliant man. In fact, the book of Acts is written in the most sophisticated form of Greek, Koine Greek. That, that meant that, we, that it was written by a very highly intelligent man, and he was like an investigative reporter. And, and as we've learned in, in recent times, that eyewitnesses don't always give you the best details. 
It's, it's investigative reporters who give us the, the best details, not eyewitnesses. He was not an eyewitness, but yet he wrote the book of Luke, which gives us more details and more accurate details than any other gospel. And then he wrote the book of Acts. And he re- writes it to his friend Theophilus, that we don't know very much about, but Theophilus, his name meant friend of God. So Dr. Luke was, by the way, a Gentile. He was Greek. And so he understood the tension between Jewish nationalism and Christianity. And he saw, the, he saw the transition that was taking place, and he chronicles the transition that was taking place from Old Testament Judaism, living under the law of Moses, and living under the Christ. Here's a couple of passages about how popular this idea was. We often focus on the persecution and the difficulties, but here's a couple of passages about how popular this, I, this idea of Christ rising from the dead and becoming the Savior of the world. Acts 2.47, the Bible says, They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you back up a few verses, you find 3,000 people became, came to Christ. 3,000 people, we use the term saved. We'll be, we'll be unpacking that term a little more in the weeks to come, but not this morning. But uh, 3,000 people became saved, so they added to their number. Then we go over to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So we're talking, about, we're talking about a very successful marketing plan that God ordained in the New Testament. In fact, it eventually, history tells us that eventually that church in Jerusalem grew to 200,000 people in that early church. Now, you may think, well, that's impossible, but you know there's 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 a church in Seoul, Korea today that has one million members. So it's it's very possible and very, um, uh, it's not improbable at all. Now, if the new church were a business startup, we would have touted it as an amazing success. 3,000, 5,000, 200,000. By Acts chapter 8, like I said, there were 200,000 who, they weren't just people who were subscribers. They weren't just people who signed up. They were shareholders. They bought stock and they staked their lives on the gospel because as we will find out later, they paid a heavy price. Some of them lost their homes. Some of, them, some of them were put in jail. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were killed because of, of, of turning from, the, from living under the law of Moses to living under Christ. Now, the way marketers market things today, marketers use story to create perception. They persuade you to think about your current story. Let me use Jim for an example. Jim came here to our church, and he was living in a story. It wasn't a good story. It was a story that included addiction, and it was a story that included dysfunction, and it was, in, it was a story that included much underachieving for his life. That was the story that he was living in. And, but he bought into the new story, and he began to live in the new story because the new story looked better. And that's what marketers do. You see it every day, and especially television or internet advertising, they show you a story, this is, and, and maybe they don't tell you your life looks boring right now, but they, um, it's very clearly implied by, by where they take you. They, they don't necessarily tell you that, that your, things are dysfunctional in your life, but it's implied. You know, that one, one uh, uh, commercial that, 
that, that I relate to because I'm, I'm deaf in one ear pretty much. So I relate to that there's the guy in the wood shop, you know, and his son says, I love you, Dad. And he says, what? I love you, Dad. What? <laughs> and, and, and he just goes on and on and talks about this um, uh, frustration of not being able to hear people. And, and he starts staying home all the time. But then he gets, I, I think it's, uh, it's, is it Miracle Ear? He gets one of those, he gets one of those things. And now, his, his, back in the wood shop, his son says, I love you, Dad. And he goes, what? And his son said, I love you, Dad. He said, I heard you the first time. I just want to hear it again. You know, he's living in a new story now. He was living the old story. In fact, I'm going to show you a quick 30-second uh, clip that I think illustrates the allure of a new story. Think of the happiest things. It's the same as having wings. To the stars beyond the blue, there's a Neverland waiting for you. When you leave the world behind, you can fly. You can fly. You can fly. make you want to go to Disney World, right? <laughs> Donald Miller, who talks a lot about story and creating story, talks about, he gives us five elements of the sales pitch, the advertiser sales pitch. Number one, number one is what was the problem you were having before you discovered our product? Number two, what did the frustration feel like as you tried to solve that problem? Number three, what was different about our product? Number four, take us to the moment when you realized our product was actually working to solve your problem. Number five, tell us what your life looks like now that your problem is solved or being solved. In the church, Steve, we call that a testimony. <laughs> we call that a testimony service. Because that is truly, and I'm not minimizing or, or reducing I'm not reducing the gospel down to a product or a service, but it is, it, is, it is very similar in that God knows that we need something in our lives. God knows that we need something transformational. We need a new story. Every one of us in this place need a new story to live in. That's probably partly why you're in church today. Let's talk about the new story right now. Sometimes we miss the story when we read Acts chapter 3, which is where we're going to go in a second. You can go over there if you want to now. Uh, Acts 3 records a drama. Sometimes we miss the story by looking at the drama. And the drama is there's a guy who's crippled. And Peter and John, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're going to the temple to pray. See, they were still Jewish. And they were still observing Jewish ceremonial rituals. And they were still worshiping like Jews. Which is a, a very good point that I, I don't want to miss here this morning. Is that God doesn't necessarily change the context of your life. Changing your story doesn't mean you necessarily change your context. 
you probably still work at the same place, live with the same people. You'll have this, many of the same friends. And there may be a few friends you have to get rid of right away if you're going to live in this new story. But not necessarily so. So God, God wants to work within the context of your life. Whatever the context of your life. You're not Jewish and you're not going to the Jewish temple. So that's not the context of your salvation today. The church of Jesus Christ operates within any context. It will operate in any place at any time in history. Churches spring up everywhere all over the place, and it's an amazing, miraculous thing. So they're going to the Jewish temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon, and they come to this place, this gate leading into the temple called beautiful. That's a great word for a, for a gate. The Greek word for beautiful is horeos, and it means happening at the right time. So there was a crippled man who was there, and unknown to him, he was sitting there at the right place at the right time. It was beautiful. So this beautiful thing happened. Simon Peter goes out and he's, he's crying out, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Simon Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He grabbed the man by the hand. The man leaped. And he was healed, and he started walking and leaping and worshiping God. And the Bible says in verse 11 of chapter 3, everyone came rushing toward them. Now, that was the drama, but that wasn't the story. That wasn't the sales pitch. Here's the sales pitch in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we made this man walk? Now, I want you to hear the sales pitch. I've put it in bold and I've underlined it. So you would see the sales pitch, if you want to call it that, or we call it God's marketing plan for causing you to want to live in the new story. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has given this complete healing to him as you all can see. Amen? Jim Dayon's life is a tribute to the name of Jesus. Acts verse 17. Let's skip down to verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. As, you did, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then turn to God, so, repent, then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So he's, he's talking about the problem that's going to be solved. That the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Israel hadn't had a time of refreshing from the Lord in a very long time. 400 years before, if you go to the book of Malachi, God is speaking a word of rebuke to the nation of Israel because once again, as they always did, they had lost their way. And if you read the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the New Testament, he talks to them about their spiritual condition. He warns them about their spiritual condition. And then a very interesting thing happened. God did not speak to them for 400 years. I've, my theory is God knew if he talked to them, he was going to have to hurt them. 
You ever have anybody like that? You ever, have a, you, ever, you ever go through that with your kids? If I talk to them, I'm going to hurt them. Maybe you go through one of your employees. If I talk to them today, I'm going to have to fire them. So I will not talk to them. God did not talk to them as far as we know. We call it the silent years, the dark years, 400 years. And the next time he talked to them, he sent them the word, the logos. Now, I know you maybe you don't study the Bible. That's okay. The, the word logos is the same as the word for word. And the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. The next time God spoke to Israel was with Jesus. He sent them a person. He didn't send them a script. He didn't send them a book. He didn't send them, he didn't send them another Torah. But he sent them a person. A person who would die and rise from the dead. He sent them a person who would save Israel from Israel's sins and would save the whole world from his sins. Boy, I'm getting excited. Uh, let me, where was I? Repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So he's going to send him again. He must remain in heaven until the time comes to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. Now the story that I just read to you, that's the story. It's repeated. I, I was amazed because today I'm actually covering, and if you get, get the reading plan, I don't know, did they say anything about the reading plan today? Oh, they should have a reading plan available when you leave the building today. There's a reading plan of reading for you this week. And, and, and we're going to have you read from Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 6. But I don't have time to preach Acts chapter 3. I would like to. Would you stay till 10 till night? I will preach all the chapters. And I'll have a great time. But uh, I can only pick one text tonight. tonight. This morning I only have time for that. So... Uh, but this text that I just read to you is repeated almost verbatim six times between chapter 2 and chapter 6. I've noticed that successful businesses keep repeating their story, and they know their story. One thing about the Sherry does so well and all the staff at the Blessing Barn is they know the story. You go in there, you find out why they're there and what they're trying to do. I've noticed that successful businesses are like that. They know the problem they're there to solve. They know, that they know how, how they solve that problem, and they know how you can access solution, the solution to your problem, and they're happy to deliver that for you. They're, they're not just trying to trick you. They're trying to woo you and eliminate the merely curious who are not going to buy in. And so here, let me give you the, the I'm going to give you the new church's sales pitch in my words. I like to be kind of poetic. I, and the, uh, I, I used to be a songwriter. I don't know if I am anymore. I mean, if you don't write a song for 20 years, are you still a songwriter? So I don't know if I'm a songwriter anymore. I've written some, but they were terrible, and I threw them away <laughs> recently. God sent you Jesus. Jesus was glorified. In complete ignorance, you turned Jesus over to be crucified. By the power of God, Jesus was made alive. By grace and humility, your sin is nullified. Ultimately, the Christ you crucified will come back and the earth will be beautified. Let go of your old identity, take on Christ, and your life will be revolutionized. 
Is that okay? Previously, their lives had been defined by what is written, but the Bible says that what is written, the Bible says the letter killeth. Their life was defined by the Torah, the law of Moses, and all the rituals that they had to go through, and all the laws they had to keep. And the Pharisees had added there were now 632 laws, and that's what they were, that was their story, and that's what they were living in. You see, but this new story, this new story didn't need 632 commandments. This new story didn't need five chapters of the Bible, even though that's still important, and we'll talk about that later. This new story wasn't about things that were said. This new story was about something that happened. Anybody got a clue what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. Do you realize how important that is? Do you realize that it's the one thing that matters most? People want to argue about a lot of things. I'll tell you one thing. People want to argue about whether... Whether Mary was a virgin when Jesus was, she conceived Jesus. And I believe she was. Years ago, some theologians got in a big argument because the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for a virgin was a young woman. So they said, oh, she, maybe she wasn't a virgin. She was just a young woman. Okay, so if you don't believe in the virgin birth... I'll give you that. Okay, there was no virgin birth. Now, I don't believe that. So, so don't put that, don't publish that. Pastor said there's no virgin birth. I didn't say that. You said it. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't really matter if Jesus got up from the dead. Nothing else. Some people want to argue with me about whether the earth was created in six literal days or 6,000 years or 6 million years. Well, I'm just simple. I'm really simple. I believe it was created in six literal days. That's what I believe. But who cares? What difference does it make? If Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't matter if Jesus, if God created an evolutionary process or he didn't create an evolutionary process or he created in six days or six million years. Who cares? Jesus is risen. That's the gospel, man. That's the story. That's our story, that Jesus is not in the grave. The tomb is empty. He is gone. He has gone back to the Father, and he's evidenced it by sending the Holy Spirit, and the church has been born and created. This, this thing that you take for granted has been created. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, let me put the, he's not as poetic as I am, but he's a lot smarter than I am. Let me just put the gospel in a nutshell. Because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. Now God treats you when you believe in Christ Jesus as if you have done everything Jesus has done. And you've suffered everything Jesus has suffered. God treats believing sinners as if they had done everything Jesus had done and suffered everything Jesus has suffered. That means when you believe in Christ, you're adopted not on the basis of your record, but on his record. You're adopted into the family and treated as if you had accomplished everything that he's accomplished. That's the gospel. Somebody says it's too easy. I don't know how many times people have said, that's just too easy. You mean just to receive it? Yeah, you have to receive it through repentance, and that's not easy at all. The only way to get peace is through paying the pain of repentance. In other words, all you need is nothing, but most people don't have that. 
<laughs> That's in the app. If you, don't, if you want to re- read all of that and, and you don't remember it verbatim, if you remember it verbatim, you should be preaching. See, let's talk about being Israel was stuck in the old story. Israel's old story was that as a nation, they would keep Moses' law perfectly. And here's what they believed. If you don't understand what they believe, and I don't know why you would unless you study the Bible, you might not understand because you don't think like a Jewish person most likely. That's not your mindset. You're a modern um, Westerner with Western values, and so you don't understand Eastern values, and you don't know what it's like to be a Jewish person. Neither do I. So Israel's story, here's was their story, that as a nation, they would keep Moses' law perfectly enough that eventually they would earn God's favor. Eventually, God would approve of them. They, they, would, they would get it right. They would, they would keep the laws of Moses well enough. That's why if you read the Gospels, now now that I said that, I want you to go back and read the Gospels. And you'll see in all these Jesus interactions, all the people that talked to Jesus kept bringing up the law. He's breaking the law. He's breaking the law. He's breaking the law. Everything. He, he, he takes the disciples. The disciples are hungry and they walk through a field and there's some corn and they reach out and they eat some corn. And the Pharisees, hey, you're breaking the law. It's, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing that. Because their whole deal was, we're going we're gonna to get to the place that we do the laws of Moses perfectly enough that God is going to finally favor us because the story they were stuck in is they were always failing to keep God's laws and God was always having to discipline them. And, and, and the, biggest, the biggest discipline of their life is one time they all got carried away to Babylonian captivity. They all got exiled into the entire nation because they were, they were so far from God. They weren't just breaking a couple of laws, man. They were so far from God. They were, they were worshiping idols, and they were intermarrying with idolatrous people, and, and they weren't taking care of the poor, and they, they weren't, they weren't e- executing justice in their community. They were a mess, and they were so far from God, and, and so God just had to, God had to put them into 70 years of captivity and, and punishment because he loved them so much, really. Because, because they were going to destroy themselves. They weren't going to be a culture. They weren't going to be a society anymore if he didn't do something drastic. So he put them into, into captivity. And that was their story. And so now they're... And, and the thing about Israel, if you read, the, if you read the, the accounts, Israel never said when God would just level them. You know, Read the Old Testament. When God would level them and, and discipline them and never once do you find Israel saying, God, you were wrong this time. We were good people. Never once. They always, in the end, admitted their fault. They knew that God was not the problem. So they were on a treadmill to get good enough for God. The conclusion of Israel's story was to be that they were going to get good enough for God and they were going to be righteous enough that they would reach divine, acceptable levels and a conquering Messiah. Here, here, was the, here was the answered prayer to their lives. That God was going to send a conquering Messiah who would come and fulfill all the promises that God made to Abraham. And Genesis chapter 7 verse 6 shows the promise God made to Abraham. And I will make you very fruitful. I will make, you nation, I will make nations of you and kings will come, come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. See, they, that's what they were looking for. They wanted the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and they believed that they were to be the blessing nation. They were to be the nation that blessing would proceed from for the whole world. They believed that they had, they believed that if they became the blessing nation, that would prove to the world that they had the right God. But God had a better story than they had. God had the right story. You know, God has a better story for Americans too. Here's, here's some of the Highlights of the story that Americans live in. We don't live in the Jewish story. We live in the American story. The, the, the American story is God wants me to be happy and have pleasure. That's the American story. I, 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 a man was in my office a while back and he was uh, being unfaithful. And his defense of being unfaithful was God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. And, 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 you know, later I saw him out in a restaurant with a, a, a woman who's much younger than his wife. <laughs> so he took, he took his theology all the way. <laughs> but God wants me to be the boss and not the servant. That's American gospel. God wants me to have a lot of stuff. That's the American story. And I'm supposed to spend a lot of my time taking care of my stuff. It's getting quiet in here now. You like the Jewish story. <laughs> the American gospel is I can only be a blessing to others if I'm prosperous. The American gospel is if my prayers get answered, it proves I am blessed by God. By the way, and I'm not getting political, really not. But socialism is just a different version of materialism, by the way. It's just the same basic idea that meaning and purpose in our lives has an economic solution. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The American way is if I get what I want in life, I have the right God. If I'm getting what I want, I have the right God. If not, then I have the wrong God. I remember Lloyd McCutcheon Tony McCutcheon, pastoring, they both had master's degrees and they were just these incredible people and they took this little church down in East Texas and I remember visiting them and Lloyd's having to work in an ammunition factory and I was asking him about one day why he's there and he said, Phil, I'm here because I know I'm in the will of God. I'm here because I'm living in God's story for my life. I look at Sandy and Daryl Blatchley who feed seven, 8,000 kids a week in the Philippines and give their lives. And when they come here to visit, you know, I always want to take them out to, to, to dinner. And I say, where do you want to go to dinner? We want to go to McDonald's. Okay, because Daryl eats breakfast at McDonald's every morning of his life. And okay, we go to McDonald's, and they order Happy Meals. These grown people, they're not having to pay. I'm paying they order Happy Meals. You know why they order Happy Meals? 
because there's a little toy inside. And they're going to take the toys back to the Philippines to give to the children. And so every day they eat Happy Meals, so they have little toys to take back and give to the children because they're living in Jesus' story. Friday I went down to a, 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 a thrift store called Four Echoes in Seekonk. And I got the tour by a young lady named Cara Daniello. And some of you know, some of you are from Community Covenant Church, and you know Cara. She used to be the children's pastor there. And she took me on the tour, and she's all excited. This, th- these are people, all these people that are in that store came up to the Blessing Barn and got mentored by Sherry and how to do this. And now they've, they've bought a thrift store in Seekonk, right near, some of you probably eaten at the grist mill in Seekonk, right next to the grist mill, fantastic location. And, and she was so excited taking me on the tour and telling me they're doing a, a youth camp for kids in the summer and they're helping the homeless and they're excited about getting involved in helping kids who are aging out of the foster care system. And I'm thinking as I'm watching this sharp young lady, uh, highly educated, could probably be, uh, no doubt, she could be making six figures somewhere, but she's not making six figures there. But she's so excited because she's living the gospel. She's living the story of Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that you, you can't be rich and make a lot of money. That's not the point. That's, it, it, might be, it might be of God for you to be rich. It might be of God for you to have a big house. That, the point is that Jesus is your story, not your money. The point is you have a motivation. Your motivation is Jesus and that's what I want to change. That's what, if you, if you will hear my message today, that's what will change in your life, is your motive. See, see it's, one thing, it's one thing to go to the gym because you want to look awesome. It's another thing to go to the gym because you want to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit and have enough energy to serve people better. And if Jesus is your story, you go to the gym for the second reason. Because you want to feel as good as possible so you can be as available as possible to the people that you love and care for. Some of you think that, well, if I get saved and accept Jesus and He becomes the center of my life, everything in my life has to change. Maybe, for some of you, yes. You have to be willing for it to change. You've got to be willing to sell your house. You've got to be willing to downsize. You've got to be willing to. If you're not willing to, then you're not living in the Jesus story. But you may not have to. But who cares? Who cares? It's Jesus. You get Jesus. You get the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, to love and serve and live and have him speak and live in your heart and speak to you. So let's, let's, let's move on today and let's talk about how do I move joyfully into this new story. Look at what he said in verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I'm going to give you three steps into the new story. Number one, to move joyfully in the new story, we must accept God's sacrifice. Psalms 51, 16, do not, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. 
These people who serve God aren't bringing, you say, but oh, Jim and, and, and Robin are going to sacrifice to go serve these people in New Bedford. No, these people that are, serve God in the Blatchleys and, and Cara DeMello and Lloyd McCutcheon, these people who serve God aren't bringing sacrifices, they're bringing worship. And worship is a response, not a payment. And that's how I know you've met Jesus. You, you see, you don't bring in the sacrifice and then he saves you. No, you just bring him nothing. Bring him nothing. And then when he saves you, if he saves you, you're going to be so grateful that you will sacrifice out of worship, but not out of payment. Does that make sense? Number two, to move joyfully into the new story, we must admit that we are helpless. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Remember what, what Simon Peter said to them? He said, you did this in ignorance, and your forefathers. In other words, you're like this, and your mother's like this, and your, grand, and your, and your dad, and your grandparents, and your great-grandparents, and your great-grandparents, and your great-great-grandparents are like this. You are stuck. You are not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to change your life because you're under a generational curse. Every one of you in this room. You need Jesus. And if you get Jesus-centered, it will break the generational curse in every life in this room. Amen? Number three, to move joyfully in the new story, we must agree to let Jesus define success in our lives. The Jews define success as the overthrow of Rome and the restoration of their nation to prominence. In the new story, success is defined by whatever Jesus is doing today. <laughs> whatever Jesus wants to do. If I would ever write my life story for whatever reason there might be, he'd be there between each line of pain and glory. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. I want the prayer partners to come. Because we're going to pray for you. Because I believe with all my heart this morning there's somebody in this room, maybe five or six or seven of you, who just say, Pastor Phil, I came today and I don't like how my life is going. I, don't, I know it's not the right life for me. I've given myself and dedicated myself to purposes and causes that feel so empty today. But I believe there's a better story for me. And all you have to do to start the new story is to bring him nothing all you have to do is come empty-handed and say, God, I don't even know how you're going to change my life. I don't know how you're going to fix my past. I don't know what you're going to do, but God, forgive me. Forgive me of how I may have, I'm, I may have neglected like those early Jewish people did. How, how my life would have killed Jesus had he been around. How I would have neglected, how I wouldn't have spoken up for him. How I wouldn't have made a difference. God, forgive me for that today. And I throw myself on your mercy. You'll be amazed at what God will do for you. An American who doesn't joyfully move in this story will waste their life on the earth, either being a materialist or a hedonist or both. A materialist is someone, by the way, who lives to buy and maintain their stuff. A hedonist is someone who lives to experience pleasure and sensuality. A Christian is one who, in the words of John Piper, has become a Christian hedonist. They have made Christ their greatest pleasure and Christ their greatest treasure. That's what I'm inviting to you today. 
I'm inviting you to a time when you simply make Christ your greatest pleasure and Christ your greatest treasure. And it will solve all of the other problems in your life. Father, we receive your grace right now. I pray for every person. I pray for the person who is living the story of Christ, that they will be encouraged right now. I pray for the person who once lived the story of Christ but has cooled off, that they will re-engage. And I pray for the person who's never lived the story of Christ and never let Christ be their Lord and Savior, that they will move into that, that, that place today and become a part of the new church, the living body of Jesus Christ in Jesus' name. Come and be prayed for today. There's communion for you. Anything going on in your life, we will pray for you. It may not be, have anything to do with what I preach, but you need help from God. We're here to pray for you and minister to you. This is response time at Bethany. Let's enter in.